welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this on, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. In today's episode, we will be continuing our discussion on uh, some of the historical aspects of astrology uh, by taking a quick look at the more modern period and leading up into the 20th century. As we've seen over the last few episodes, we've been going through ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, Rome and the Arabic influences and, and then medieval and now we will be continuing on into the modern period. Towards the end of the 17th century in Europe, um, we really begin to see the decline of astrology, and there's a there's a period where it starts to be less popular until it begins to resurface in the 20th century. This is partly due to the rise of Newtonian orthodox science that was beginning to replace the older Ptolemaic and really sort of Neoplatonic cosmological view but it's also due to theological opposition from the catholic church in particular for example one example of the church not being happy with astrology is in the 17th century when one astrologer is meant to have predicted a threat against the life of urban which he was not happy about, so he actually issued a papal bull against the practice of judicial astrology. Um, there's other elements as well that might have affected astrology's popularity more than just science. Um, you know, the world was changing. There's the beginning of industrialization and really a much more mechanistic view of the universe that begins to mean that some of the ancient mysteries, some of our connections with with nature, with the beauty of you know the stars, we become start to become less connected to that. And so yeah, that starts to sort of decline until it gets to the point where it gets removed from you know the university curriculums in many countries. And the serious sort of study of it from an academic point of view begins to sort of fade away through the sort of 18th and 19th centuries. However, there was still a few people that kind of stood out. Um, Richard Cross Smith. There's also commanded Richard James Morrison, who um, used to write under the pseudonym of Raphael and Zadkiel. However, they were using fake names, um, which also kind of shows us that you know, they wanted to keep their astrological work as private as possible. There were also some other developments during the next few centuries. So in 1781, William Herschel discovers a new planet called Herschel at first, and then it's renamed as Uranus or Uranus. Also, there's the discovery of Neptune in 1846 and Pluto in 1930, and these discoveries also contribute to this sort of this kind of growing feeling in the public that um, <clears throat> that potentially astrologers might have had their facts incorrect 
um, or you know they needed to change their view because how can you you know discover a new kind of these new planets that um, would, would, they were not aware of before. Also in 1875, we get the establishment of the Theosophical Society by Madame Lovatsky, which we'll probably do an episode on at some point, and we begin to see it becoming more popular again. The Theosophical Society um, really was a, a sort of spiritual group or organisation that aimed to encourage the study of comparative religions, mystical philosophy, and also the natural world. And this study, and their, through their lectures, through their teachings, they really helped to revive the study of many of these subjects. And many um, leading astrologers of the day were involved with that particular group. In the 20th century though, as, as I'm sure everyone's aware, you know the practice and studies become more popular than ever and we see you know obviously see horoscopes in every you know newspapers online and you know there's a huge amount of study as well much of this modern day revival was due to the input of a man called William Allen who's also known as Alan Leo who was born in 16 1860 to 1917 and he was a prominent British astrologer, author, and also a theosophist, and is often referred to as the father of modern astrology. And his works and his writings and his teachings really kind of helped to revive this study um, in the Western world after its decline in the 17th century. He was very, very heavily involved with the theosophists and particularly interested in many of their different um teachings such as karma reincarnation and he also used the resources that that society had to kind of spread his books and uh, across Europe and America Alan Lear is also a friend of the poet W.B. Yeats who is in the Order of the Golden Dawn as everyone knows and he also founded an astrological lodge of the Theosophical Society in London he also published a magazine called The Astrologer's Magazine and was taken to court for being a fortune teller. And I just wanted to quote him quickly from his book Symbolism and Astrology, an introduction to esoteric astrology. The sun and planets represent the spiritual consciousness in the heaven world. The signs of the zodiac represent the astral or psychic consciousnesses and the houses of the horoscopes as a whole represent the physical consciousness. As we can see, um, and as we mentioned, <clears throat> he was convicted for fortune telling. Um, and this kind of shows you the the modern or the public view of some of the, the some of the things that the Theosophical Society promoting. Um, and you know, there's still quite a lot of danger and distrust in terms of practicing some of these arts during this period. Um, and you know, although this the criticism had waned, um, it was still not you know well looked at in many circles. And the next person I wanted to mention was Sigmund Freud, um, because during this period he attempted to reignite attempts to discredit it. So in 1910, Freud is famously meant to have made three requests to his student and protege Carl Jung. 
The first was to hold to the sexual theory, the second was to go to church on Sundays, and the third was to join him in forming a bulwark against what he called the black tide of mud of occultism. So Jung had obviously been a student of Freud by this point and was quite a, uh, a big supporter of astrology and had also done lots of investigations into how these studies could be useful in the treatment of different psychological um, neuroses and disorders. Jung believed that astrology really is sort of like the pinnacle or the summation of lots of different ancient knowledge and he also kind of intuitively um, believed that the 12 signs of the zodiac worked as almost like a compendium of different psychic realities that would then configure to what he, uh, he called archetypes which are essentially psychological patterns or models that live within the collective unconscious he believed also that within each individual human being there existed an, uh, an innate disposition to be what we really are and that we don't acquire it we are born with it so it's like these hidden abilities that need to be kind of drawn out Jung's meant to have written astrology like the collective unconscious with which psychology is concerned consists of symbolic configurations the planets are the gods symbols of the powers of the unconscious so if we return now to the issues Freud had with astrology for a moment Freud only made one study of astrology which is known as psychoanalysis and telepathy um, in 1921 and this is an account of a visit to an astrologer by one of his patients which he wrote in 1921 um, he, he included in this study a kind of wider look at prophetic phenomena particularly in the context of recent attacks and he also strongly believed that talking about subjects like astrology should be discouraged and it could lead to a destabilization of society um, you know like we mentioned before the black mud of occultism we've got to try and remember as well um, you know this time is just after the the first world war or the great war and you know there'd been a huge huge um, loss of life in that particular war so during this period you do have this massive increase in terms of people turning to um, psychic mediums um, spiritualist circles etc because they, they you know they lost so many different people from their families and wanted to contact their dead relatives and Freud sees this rise in interest in the in these sort of aspects as a dangerous development and so he wants to kind of study them and discredit them from a, a scientific point of view and he wrote nor is there much doubt as to the origin of this trend it is a part expression of the loss of value by which everything has been affected since the catastrophe of the great war a part of the tentative approach to the great revolution towards which we are heading and of whose extent we can form no estimate but no doubt it is also an attempt at compensation at making up in another a super mundane sphere for the attractions which have been lost by life on this earth 
In his book, Psychoanalysis and Telepathy, 1921, he also recounts how one of his patients had travelled to Germany to visit an astrologer who lived in Munich, who had worked as an advisor to one of the Bavarian princes. And this uh, astrologer is meant to have given him a prophecy or a prediction that had been very specific and he had predicted that the patient's brother-in-law would die in the following July or August from either crayfish or oyster poisoning. Freud um, writes in his book um, that such an accurate prediction is impossible on the grounds that it exceeds this astrological capacity and he wrote the following you will no doubt agree with me in offering the most obstinate resistance to the possibility that so detailed an event as falling ill of crayfish poisoning could be inferred from the date of the subject's birth by help of any tables or formula whatever. Do not forget how many people are born on the same day. Is it credible that the similarity of the futures of people born on the same day can be carried down to such details as this? I therefore venture to conclude the astrological calculations entirely from the discussion. I believe the fortune teller might have adopted some other procedure without affecting the outcome of the interrogation. So if we move away from Freud during this time, um, we see we see astrology becoming very popular, um, particularly in the USA at this time. Um, there's other people as well as Freud that kind of really kind of promote this. So we've got um, the famous female astrologer Evangeline Ab Adams in the 1920s. And she's meant to have visited a hotel in New York that was described as being under the worst possible combination of planets, bringing conditions terrifying in their unfriendliness. And that night the hotel was meant to have burnt to the grounds Adams was also charged as a fortune teller but was um, famously asked to interpret an anonymous horoscope in court which turned out to be the judge's son's horoscope and the judge was so impressed by her interpretation that he threw the case out which is pretty cool. Also um, <clears throat> in Germany the art of astrology and its study was meant to have been popular with members of the Nazi leadership, um, so Hess, Himmler and Goebbels. Goebbels was, as everyone probably knows, um, one of the, the leading politicians who was the Gauleiter of Berlin and also the, the, the guy who really kind of headed up the propaganda for the Nazi party from 1933 to 1945. And he is meant to have consulted with an astrologer called Karl Ernst Kraft who is meant to have translated and also done lots of reinterpretation of the predictions of Nostradamus, particularly looking at it from the point of view of favouring the Nazi war efforts. And astrology is also meant to have contributed to Rudolf Hess's um, defects to England. Hitler, on the other hand, is also meant to have not been interested in astrology that much, although he he is meant to have been quite interested in the value of some of the folk 
tales, the folklore, mysticism, and also some of the occult imagery. So you obviously get the swastika, which is an ancient Hindu sun symbol. Um, Hitler does appear to have been a bit of a cynic, however, and kind of has this real kind of drive to believe in his own destiny and the destiny of the Germanic um, people. And he's meant to have said, superstition is a factor one must take into consideration when assessing human conduct, even though one may rise superior to it and laugh at it. There's an interesting story that um, is mentioned by Nicholas Campion in his History of Western Astrology, which is a really great book and I'd recommend people uh, read it if they're interested. Um, And he talks about Hitler's meant to have visited Mussolini once and he's advised Mussolini to not begin a certain action on the 13th of the month not because he or Mussolini regarded this as unlucky but because the ignorant masses would see that as being unlucky so what Campion's really saying is you know he he was a fan of science but not particularly kind of supportive of of elements of this sort of particular philosophy astrology etc um, although he could see the value of it in terms of using it to get the public behind what they were trying to do. And, yeah, kind of unite them underneath some of these these symbols. Um, in 1941 as well, after Rudolf Hess uh, defects to England, Hitler is meant to have ordered the astrologer Kraft to be arrested as part of his crackdown on magicians, faith healers, astrologers, etc. So it just shows you that, you know, didn't, things didn't work out quite as planned there. Um, away from the, obviously, the, the you know, the general, the leaders of the Nazi party in the Second World War, um, interest in this art was becoming much more popular as well, particularly in the fields of psychology. And since the 1930s, there's been many astrologers that have worked on more psychological lines with regards to interpreting their work, um, such as Dane Rudyer, who said, Astrology is a language. If you understand this language, the sky speaks to you. Dane Rudyer, um, 1895 to 1985, is a French-born American author, also a composer and humanistic astrologer. And he's also one of the main pioneers of modern transpersonal astrology in his seminal text, Astrology of the Personality. He is really considered to be one of the foremost leaders of the 20th century with regards to this field of study. And he also develops a an astrology which is much more um, focused on the individual um, than uh, the kind of fatalistic predictive model and he is heavily influenced by the work of, of Carl Jung and Assagioli. Mentioning Sagiolo, Assagioli, apologies, he's another really interesting figure from this time who obviously influenced Dane Roger a lot. Um, Roberto Assagioli, 1888-1974, he's an Italian psychiatrist who was the founder of the transpersonal psychology movement, which is known as psychosynthesis. And Assagioli is, he was a student of Freud, 
and one of the main pioneers of the psychoanalytic movements in Italy. And he later develops this process called psychosynthesis, which basically goes beyond the theories of analysis and recognises the need for a much more holistic approach to assisting and helping and transforming a person um, to become whole, to be united in synthesis, which is very similar if one thinks about it to the ideas of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life, where we unite all aspects of one's being. Through focusing on inner development, Asagioli believes that most problems, most traumas, could be resolved and could be solved. And he describes this process as follows. Psychosynthesis is a method of psychological development and self-realization for those who refuse to remain the slave of their own inner phantasms or of external influences, who refuse to submit passively to the play of psychological forces which is going on within them and who are determined to become the master of their own lives. During the 20th century, whilst there's been a lot of development of astrology from the perspective of psychology, there's also been attempts to, to really kind of uncover and prove a clear scientific model. One example of this is the efforts of the French statistician Michael Gokelin, apologies if I'm not pronouncing that right, who demonstrated that there's a link that appeared to exist between planets and the birth chart of high achievers, athletes and celebrities. And Gokelin is meant to have said, is it possible to observe common positions in heavenly bodies for the births of individuals who have manifested common tendencies throughout their lives. So starting in 1949, he began to collect data of lots of different people, uh, 7,000 French people. And then he's meant to have made simple comparisons between planetary positions in the diurnal cycle during the course of the day and their professional success. And his first positive finding was based on 576 members of the Académie de Médecine and that found that subjects born when Saturn was either rising over the eastern horizon or at its highest point of the day. He also found smaller packs for the opposite points, so the planet's setting and lower culmination. And he then duplicates this process with regards to other professional and planetary bodies and, and he found like lots of really interesting relationships between the moon and successful writers, Jupiter and actors and politicians and Saturn, which is interesting. And then he expands this out looking at sort of different hereditary indicators as well. So for instance, were, was the person's parent born during a particular planetary rising or setting a lot of his theories have been disproved by the scientific community. However, one of his ideas has become uh, very popular, and this is something called the Mars effect. And this essentially 
outlines that there's a statistically significant link between Mars positions at birth and success in sports. And this has actually been repeated several times uh, with some success. However, there's still quite a lot of debate in academic circles as to the kind of validity of this. Whether a whether we need to find a scientific basis for this art, however, I think is irrelevant as it's you know it's very popular and it continues to provide deep insights for millions of people around the world, just as our ability to to understand ourselves but also understand our environment and understand you know how we can work with that and we'll be discussing that in future episodes. An interesting development um, I wanted to mention as well before we finish is the practice of financial astrology or business astrology or astroeconomics. And this is a, a kind of pseudo-scientific practice of relating the movements of the celestial bodies to financial markets. And there's a story that apparently the the library that the investment banker JP Morgan built in New York to house his collection of books is painted with astrological signs. Um, Aries, which was his birth sign, and Gemini, the sign under which he married his first wife, are over the doorway, which enables him to walk under his two lucky stars each time he entered the library. He is also meant to have been the one who coined the phrase billionaires don't use astrology billionaires do another interesting fact is that um, Goldman Sachs is reported to have looked into the correlation uh, between eclipses and the market in 1999 and RBS also published a study in 2010 on the financial effects of the moon's phases also during the 1990s there was a magazine by the name of the Wall Street Forecaster that was named as one of the top forecasters on Wall Street and it was also rated as the second best forecaster in 2002. Um, From 2000, Bloomberg News also hosted a weekly show dedicated to financial astrology and also really interesting, in 2001, a fund trading company um, which is basically like a sort of astrological um, almost like a hedge fund really but they had 3.5 to 5 million dollars worth of investing investor assets and also made the claim that 10 to 15 percent of fund managers was using their services so pretty interesting Um, it still seems to be running as well that particular um, astrological fund and then the astrological fund um basically had a, a, a mission objective which was to outperform all equivalent risk reward portfolios that did not use financial astrology as one of their main criteria so really interesting that that is being used with regards to the trading on the stock market um, and particularly with that financial aspects so to conclude this episode we can see that from the beginnings time um, you know the art the study of astrology from ancient Babylon through to the mysterious star tables of the Egyptians the oracles of ancient Rome and Greece and the magicians and mystics 
of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance times. This art continues to fascinate, continues to intrigue, and most importantly, it still provides us with deep insights, knowledge, and wisdom to people to this day. Perhaps we will never fully be able to prove the scientific basis of this art, as some would like, but whatever the case, it's a beautiful, it's an intriguing, it's a fascinating and revealing art that will continue on long into the future, I'm sure. That's all we've got time for today. However, I wanted to finish this episode with a poem by the poet William Wordsworth called The Stars Are Built by Nature's Hand. The stars on mansions built by nature's hand and haply there the spirits of the blessed dwell clothed in radiance their immortal vest huge ocean shows within his yellow strand a habitation marvellously planned for life to occupy in love and rest all that we can see is dome or vault or nest or fortress reared at nature's sage command glad thought for every season but the spring gave it while cares were weighing on my heart mid song of birds and insects murmuring and while the youthful years prolific arts of buds leaf blade and flower was fashioning abodes where self-disturbance hath no part Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Occult London Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Please make sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. Thank you. Good night.